I'm actually pondering something from the children's talk. Um, the space between the temptation and then what you do about it. That's an interesting space. The space between that sense of, oh, I'd really like that chocolate. Or as I said, that chocolate biscuit that Father Martin goes on about quite a lot because I told him the story from West Wing that I've shared with you before, how Leo um, West Wing, um, I just need to sort of think that on National Health everybody has seen that and watched that and taken that in in their lives. It's a TV uh, series about um, the President of uh, the United States and his team. And um, uh, so his, um, Leo's his second command and um, Leo is an alcoholic. And there's a moment when Leo's offered a drink and he says, uh, somebody says to him, but just take one. And Leo says, I don't understand just one. I don't understand just one. Some people do understand just one, but he can't understand just one. Which I shared with Father Martin and he keeps saying to me, you know, if I can't understand just one. If I have one, then that leads to good understanding of where you need to avoid temptation or be led from temptation as we pray so often the Lord's Prayer. And is that not one of the things that the Lord's Prayer should be teaching us to do, to consider those places where we don't want to be led into? The space between the temptation and how you respond to it. It's an interesting place. It's Lent. We're a few days in. How are you doing? I have to say self-righteously I'm doing quite well. However, what you don't want to do when you give up chocolate and chips is replace them with something equally unhealthy as chocolate and chips. That's something you need to consider. But there are those moments, especially actually in the first day or two, when it just gets, and then it doesn't help in our house because somebody mentions what it is you're off um, as many times as they possibly can, which obviously leads you into the temptation of thinking about it and maybe doing something about it. The space between being tempted and how we're going to respond. It's an interesting space. It seems to me as we read this story of Jesus being tempted in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 4 that we can't but see lots of Old Testament images coming through into this. Um, 40 days Jesus was in the wilderness for. Moses 40 days being honed in the wilderness. 40 years for the children of Israel in the wilderness. But the one that keeps coming back to me most of all these different images, and of course Deuteronomy um, is the way that Jesus answers um, the devil um, all three times. So all these Old Testament things are coming through, and we have to remember that what Luke's trying to do, we might come to this a bit later, but then again with Stockman we might not, that sense of who Jesus is is playing a major part in these early chapters of the Gospel of Luke. What he's trying to do in his editorial is trying to show who Jesus is. So we have the genealogy and we have the baptism where God speaks uh, into it and says, this is my son. So we're getting a picture here and suddenly we're out into this uh, wilderness, 40 days, Old Testament images all around. You can hear, see the readers getting this. And I couldn't help going back, and it seems to me very obvious to go back to the start of the Old Testament where we're in the space between the temptation and what we're going to do about it. 
the space between the temptation and what we're going to do about it. It seems to me that here we have this um, reenactment of what happened in that first few chapters of Genesis, right here in chapter 4 at the start of Luke's gospel, remembering, as we always do, that he goes into the Acts of the Apostles and tells the story beyond where uh, Matthew, Mark, and John do. Here is this second Adam story. And of course, the New Testament talks about that in Romans chapter 5. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Paul is taking, as Luke is taking here, this story of Adam and Jesus and making them into similar stories of how we respond in the space between. Now, I used to use that, um, I used to say, when we played football at university on a Wednesday afternoon, um, not only when I played, but when I um, refereed after that, when I played as a student, then I refereed, well, I played a bit as a chaplain, but at the end, I was definitely just refereeing. And what we had was we had the Presbyterian Centre, Desi will take Desi back to his youth here, we had the Presbyterian Centre team and we had Union College team and we had the Christian Union team and we had the Church of Ireland team and sometimes even we had the Catholic chaplaincy team. Oh yes, there was an ecumenical thing going on in the football. And we would have our wee cups and knockouts and knockouts sometimes literally. The one amazing place to not be a Christian on a Wednesday afternoon at Queen's University was to be on the football pitch and I hold my hands up and confess my sins. I shouted at a few referees and a few others, uh, etc., etc., etc. And I used to use the phrase, I remember using it to Grant Connor once, who's now the Minister of Dunmurray and a colleague in Presbytery, because Grant was given off, as ministers seem to be able to give off, don't we? We have that sort of mouthy, aren't we? Um, Alan Emerson, my good friend who started the 24-7 or works for 24-7, he used to play for, well, he played for Distillery and Crusaders, but when he was playing for Loch Gall, I went to see him once, and a man behind us, and when you go to see Loch Gall, there's not as many at a Loch Gall match as there is in church here, actually, this morning. And the man, so you can hear everything. So this man behind me shouted, Emerson, if you could kick the ball half as good as you could talk, you would be in the Premier League. It was that kind of, But Alan was this gentle, literally holy kind of guy. But when he got on a football pitch, and I, I do hear that when Caroline Hart, who was his maths teacher, went to see him once, I think he might even get sent off in that match. So, And I used to use this phrase, lead us not into temptation, and then we go and play football on a Wednesday afternoon. Seemed that was the wrong way to answer that prayer. If we were being led into into temptation then don't go and play football on a Wednesday afternoon because that's right into that space between I'm going to break my brother in Christ's leg here the president of the CU is not as important as my team is now I tell that story because actually it's easy for us to trivialize the temptation stories of Jesus into that that basically this story is some story that helps us from uh, shouting at a referee on a Wednesday afternoon or not having that chocolate that we want to have when we go home this afternoon. There's something far bigger than that going on in this story that we need to understand. And the understanding of that is that this is, this is what the whole deal's about. Will you come and follow me, we were singing, just before I came to speak. And what we have here is we have, and I talk about this a lot, we have God's way and we have other possible ways. And when we're called to God's way, 
when we're called into that kingdom and into that family and into that community of faith, and when we take John Bell's words seriously, which are obviously Jesus' words, will you come and follow me? Then we go down this alternative way and alternative road. And it seems to me that whether we're in Eden or whether we're in the wilderness of Luke chapter 4, that what we're in here is this space between I want to live that and here's another possibility. Here's another possibility. Here's the temptation to do something other than that. I also have a mantra about something Daryl Johnson taught me when I was at Regent College um, doing a sabbatical where he talked about Adam and Eve and how he described Adam and Eve was, and I'll say it again and again and again because I say it to myself again and again and again, that what they were doing was they were reaching to be more than human and they ended up less than human. The temptation for them was to be better than God and to posture themselves above God and to posture themselves equal to God and to have this self-determination. They stretched to be more than it was to be a human worshipping a God and to be almost equal to God and in changing that posture and the temptation to go for self, then they became less than that that they were created by God to be. And it seems to me that if we look at Jesus as a second Adam here, that what's happening is that Jesus is actually, if we read the story correctly, and Michael Wilcox has written The Bible Speaks Today in Luke, and, and, and he would suggest that what, what Jesus is doing actually in this story is he's making himself less than he was so that we could be greater than we are because he doesn't say when he's tempted, well, I'm God and I don't need to do that. He quotes those passages from Deuteronomy that says, man and woman, humanity shall not. He was identifying himself. His identity after his baptism, his identity in this genealogy, his identity as the word became flesh and lived for a time among us, his identity in incarnation was an identity with humanity. And so what Jesus was doing is he was humbling himself to become human, a second Adam, so that actually through him, we might not fall from less than what we were, but find ourselves back to where we should be. And it's not so much who Jesus is in this story. It's how will Jesus be in the space between? Jesus knows who he is. But he has to decide in his identity, am I going to resist that temptation? Or am I going to fall for this temptation? Who is Jesus? He knows exactly who he is. But it's how he will be about who he is. And whether he will lose his identity or maintain his identity and hold firm to his identity. So who are we? And how will we be in the space between? Are we the people of God? Are we those baptized? Those who last week come around communion? Those who will stand and sing these worship songs? Those who will pray together? Maybe even do a hundred days prayer for a hundred years of history? Are we those who are into Lent, thinking of Lent, not only as a giving up chocolate or chips, but as a, as a getting ready for Jesus' passion? Who are we? Who are we saying that we are? 
And when we say we're who we are, how are we going to be who we are in that space between the temptation and our response? Because the temptations that we will have that are the serious temptations that we will have will be those temptations that stop us being who we are. To be something less. The temptation is that we will go for an alternative than being the people of God. The followers of Jesus. The body of Christ. The ambassadors of Christ. The servants of Christ. And that we will find ourselves distracted by these temptations that make us something less and therefore impotent in the society that we live in. Rather than being the people of God influencing right down to the core of that society. So who are we? And how will we respond? The bottom line in these temptations are that the devil's trying to get Jesus to be self-indulgent. To be self-righteous. To be self-powerful. And not to find his place and his identity in the Godhead. Or his vocation as being the son of God who became incarnate. He's tempting him by saying, you could do this. You could be this. You don't need to come under any plan of God in this. You could... You are God. You could, you could make those, you could look after your own self. You don't need to trust in God. You don't need to live in the shadow of your father. You could do it without the father. You could be spectacular here. You could do, you could jump off there. Angels would, goodness me, would that not be amazing? And what's happening is that rather than being in the plan of the Trinity and the, the, the gospel plan from Genesis through to Revelation, The devil is trying to tempt Jesus to be self rather than God focused. What of us? Where are those areas in our lives where self-righteousness takes over? The posturing again. It's an incredible phrase that has been lingering with me. This how we posture ourselves before God and how we posture ourselves before one another. Or how we posture ourselves in a divided community. I was suggesting and thought for the day, uh, this on Wednesday, an idea from Donald Miller's book, Blue Like Jazz. Um, what Donald Miller, is a, a very um, popular American writer, Donald Miller, Blue Like Jazz, a very popular book. In fact, with Steve Taylor, who made the movie of that in Fitzroy uh, a few years ago, talking about the film. And what, they, what Donald Miller and his friends at university did, we didn't do this, and boy, do I regret it, is uh, what they did to do mission. They, they took one of the party times on campus and they decided they would set up confessional booths. So they set up confessional booths. Now you want to remember it's party time. So everybody's out there and they're living, you know, the sex and drugs and rock and roll and everything else that university students do. And you're walking home or you're staggering home from that or whatever you're doing with that and suddenly there's these confessional booths all over the campus. And so if you were brave enough to walk in, as apparently some people were, and you sat down in the confessional booth, probably with a lot to confess at that particular time, and maybe with a, you know, maybe with a wee bit of alcohol in you, you would be more prepared to confess. Instead of confessing, the Christians pulled back the shutter and started to confess to those who come in the sins of the Christians on campus rather than hearing the sins of the sinners, if you want to call it, on campus. It's a very different posturing. It's a posturing that says we're not self-righteous. 
We are what the Bible tells us we are, which is sinners. Therefore, we need forgiveness. Therefore, we need Jesus. And that's our starting point. Not we found Jesus, so we're better than you. Or not that we have been forgiven on the cross, so therefore we have the self-righteousness and you need to become like us. It's the confession and the posturing of people who know where they stand in the story of God, know where they stand in the worship before God, and understand that actually the posturing should be more humble. And so what I prayed at the time of the offering, that we don't abuse God's grace towards self-righteousness. Because I think that's really what the devil's on about in Luke chapter 4. He wants Jesus to abuse his power, abuse his identity for his own self-indulgence and sense of not self-righteousness as such, but that kind of thing. Rather than find himself underneath the story. And what we have to begin to do is not abuse the grace of God for our own self-righteousness, but use the grace of God to serve the world in the bringing of the kingdom of God. We're into John 10 and 10 here. It's my verse. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. It's what the devil did in the Garden of Eden. It's what the devil's doing in this story in Luke chapter 4. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy our identity and who we are and what we can achieve. But Jesus comes that we might have life and life in all its fullness. What are we going to do in the space between? We need to understand our identity. We need to understand that the temptations are not little petty little temptations about that chocolate that you might eat when you go home. But the temptation is that you would use the word of God, that you would use the salvation you found in God, that you would use the holiness that God begins to bring into our lives by the Holy Spirit in order for our own selfish gain and ends rather than for what they were meant to be, which was the service of others. Life in all its fullness, if we want to know what that means, then what about the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. If we want to know what that means, then it's loving your neighbor and loving your enemy. If we want to know what that means, then it's storing up something more eternal in our lives than just things. It's serving the least of these. And when we are at the center of those things, when we're at the center of the meekness of the Beatitudes, when we're at the center of loving our neighbor and enemy, when we're at the center of storing up something more eternal than that stuff that most people store up, When we're at the center of serving the least of these in the name of Jesus and because of who we are in Christ, then I believe we find the reason that we live and life in all its fullness. But what are we going to do in the space between? Who are we when that space between opens up? And will we follow Adam or the second Adam into fulfilling our vocation? Michael Wilcox finishes his commentary in this passage by saying, The confrontation here in the wilderness is the first occasion in history that a son of Adam has raised an effective defense against Satan. For him, Satan, the writing is on the wall. For humanity... 
the possibility of a new start comes electrifyingly into view. Adam and Eve reached beyond themselves and ended up less. Jesus humbles himself to become less so that we could find our place in the universe again. Let's pray together. Lord, sometimes it's easy to pick out the temptations that are not trivial, but a sense of that. It's those bigger temptations that sometimes we fall for. The posture that we have as Christians, followers of Jesus. The posture we as a church have in our society as the body of Christ. The temptation to be more than we are. The temptation to depend on our own self-knowledge, our own religious actions and rituals. To depend and trust in self and our own ability. Or even look for the spectacular to be noticed. Rather than find ourselves in the shadow of the Almighty trusting in you. I pray that during Lent, Lord, you might remind us of the space between. And I pray you might show us the difference between Adam and Jesus, the second Adam. And help us to see that in this story we read this morning, something new is electrifyingly coming into view. Because now in Christ, with our identity in Christ, we can be effective in the space between to follow you. Lord, may it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.